Welcome to In at the End. Episode 6. Pack Soprano. Yeah. Um, interesting to come to this episode from last week's college. It is. It really makes it feel like a standalone episode. Totally. Because we kind of come right back to where we started. I guess Tony was away for a weekend. Right. Right. And we do get one little reference to it when Melfi says, how was the trip the college trip with your daughter yeah. and Tony answers in some other, about something else entirely but um, that's really the only thread of connection we have there that's about it yeah, yeah. it's such a powerful episode it just kind of disappears and we're yeah. kind of back into developing although it doesn't disappear it I doesn't mean, we come back to You're a lot right. of those ideas and there's a reason why it's such an impactful episode like in the larger context of the show as well but yeah. you're right we, we do we come right back to like the characters that we didn't see last week. We come back to the plot development moving in the way that it had been built leading up to the point of college. And I think you're right. I think in this show nothing disappears. Even things that are that happen that kind of seem to end, mm-hmm. they, there's still impacts that kind of live yeah. for the rest of the show. Yeah. Just like, I mean, things that happened in the past still live on also, right? Like that's, I think, the coolest thing about this show and these characters is that um, what we're really seeing is character development and we're, we're seeing it, yes, like in the moment, but we're also getting insight into their childhoods, yeah. their past. Like we get these little glimpses into who made them who they are. And so that's yeah. why these events, like him going to visit college with Meadow and all that transpired there, that's going to live within Tony and live within Meadow. Yeah. Um, so even if we don't see it, you know, automatically or not automatically, but immediately played out, yeah, that still is a part of, yeah, who they are as characters. And I so. think this show respects those kind of subtle developments that all characters have. So that will be revisited in terms of the relationships that we have between characters later on in the series. Mm-hmm. And I think what's so amazing about this show, and it's been cool to see, is just the ambition of character development to really develop every character in the show the same way, with the same respect to their history, to their desires, to their personalities. Mm-hmm. So everybody really not only gets their own arc, but it's just like a fully formed human. Yeah. And then when they start to investigate the relationships between them, it's so complex. I feel like this episode, yeah, this episode... Well, again, that believable thing I want to come back to because I made a statement in a last episode about characters' believability. But Mm. I think this episode, we get extra great insight into the psyches of some of these characters, right? Particularly in this episode, Tony, obviously, but Melfi, who's Mm -hmm. the one I want to come back to, Carmela, Junior, to some extent, Livia, and, but Hesh, like we get this yeah. insight into Hesh that I kind of forgot about. We get the introduction of Johnny Sack. We get Johnny Sack. Who's maybe not completely fleshed out as a character, but we already start to, the world is expanding. To piece it together. And yeah. that's so evident we, to skip right ahead to that last scene, right? Like we really know this is a show about connections and a mm-hmm. show about these hierarchies mm-hmm. and whether or not they really exist. But um, the show leaves us, this episode leaves us with that looking at the family tree, so to say. And so we really yeah. know that this is about, um, yeah, these connections yeah. in between characters. And yet, even though we see this concrete representation of a hierarchy in the end at the FBI office of where everybody exists in this pyramid, we're made aware of the fact that there are always things above every character. Yeah. Above the boss, there's always something yeah. or somebody who he's reporting to. 
and there's also a world outside of the Sopranos world. So even that pyramid of of power that we kind of live it's in. It's so simplistic. For this world, it actually expands to something much bigger. And the introduction of a New York player who becomes such a major character later on is the beginning of really opening up that world and, and yeah, engaging yeah. in that kind of world building here. So maybe let's talk about the title, actually, before we get really too far ahead of start. ourselves. Because I think that's kind of linked into what we're talking about a little bit here. Um, the clearest reference to the title, Pax Soprana, being the Pax Romana, yeah. which I learned about in school. I mean, um, and not I'm not like that clear on the story mm-hmm. necessarily, but it is this period of peace in mm-hmm. the Roman Empire, like the longest period of peace yeah. that they ever had. Um, and it's interesting, you were talking about another podcast that we listened to, <laughs> um, Hardcore History. Mm, highly um, recommended. Highly recommended podcast. Um, I wish I could have as animated a voice as he does. Right. But um, but you were talking about, we were talking about this episode that's about the Persian Empire. Right. And how they were able to have these peaceful times by this um, system of contributions and taxing, like taxation, um, so that everyone was kind of on the same team, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think, like, they kind of changed the changed the game from the civilizations before them in terms of having a, a relatively understanding and gracious policy towards the cultures that they were conquering. Mm. And so when they would take over a culture, they would kind of allow their culture to exist, even though they became part of this bigger Persian empire. Right. And that worked pretty well for them, as opposed to a very kind of draconian uh, approach to governing. Was that the same with the Romans, though? So if we're we're talking now about the Pax Romana, is that, do you know if that's That's the case? That's a great question, actually. Um, I'm not an expert in Roman history. (laughs) I know that that period, which I think was between Augustus and Marcus Aurelius, was basically unrivaled in the amount of time that there was relative peace right. in the world. And so the management um, and the governing was kind of had kind of reached an apex in terms of preserving peace. Right. And then how did it fall apart? Like what was the... I think it was basically... Okay, so now I forget the name of the emperor who came after Marcus Aurelius, yeah. but it was his Com- son. Comidius or something, Comidus, com- something with a C, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah. out of my league there. But that's okay. He was born to Marcus Aurelius, and they talked about him being of, like, purple birth or something. That's my okay. <laughs> almost history term. But in terms of being, I think his father, and he was born while his father and grandfather were still in these kind of top positions. Okay. Which is interesting to think about inheriting power. Right. And he had a decent run, I think, after he was governing uh, over this kind of long stretch of peace and, like, excellent Roman leaders. But there became kind of excessive infighting, and he eventually was assassinated. And then the Roman Empire kind of broke down. It went to uh, a period that they called, like, the Year Five Emperors. Right, where everyone's just being killed. I'm very out of my depth here in history talk yeah. on a podcast, well, but well, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. But this does become very relevant to think right. about how do you govern an empire? How do you govern a family? Yeah, and how, like, what makes a good leader and what's the result of not having a good leader? Mm. 
Um, and what's the result, too, of not being generous to your subjects? Right. And yeah. not sharing with them and yeah. not sharing the wealth. That's what Tony talks about. And we know that Tony has this interest in history. So that's kind of what's relevant yeah. for him. And he has this knowledge as well. So that's what he's kind of drawing on. But, but Junior doesn't get that. Junior doesn't get that. He has to go to the story of the, the, the bulls. bulls. Yeah. <laughs> a father and son deciding to go fuck together. <laughs> fuck some bulls. Cows. That's Cows, yeah. right. Female. Right. Female. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he talks about how Augustus was this, this prosperous era that he's trying to emulate in terms of having a leadership style that brings that about. Right. So it's interesting to think Junior is now in this boss position and his decision is having repercussions in terms of the way the capos see him. Yeah. In terms of the way Hesh, these these main players in the family family are feeling. Yeah. Well, I love that we get a couple scenes and maybe we'll just jump to talking about Junior and talking about these dynamics. But there's two scenes that I thought were great were these like mini meetings of the capos and of other people so Mm -hmm. the one outside satrials which is after tony talks to johnny Sachs at his anniversary dinner um about what's going on and has him say that it came directly from hash and set up this meeting with junior and hash and tony and one other person junior hash tony johnny Sachs. yeah okay the four of them with pussy standing by but they have this meeting that they're all in the know about what's going on, right? They're, it's almost like a mm-hmm. coup in some ways, in right? Some like ways, yeah. they all are in on this story and you can, I love the way they look at each other, but they're trying to like in a gentle way, help Junior to be a better yeah. leader, you know? And then we have the meeting later well, with- Well, maybe not help him, maybe well, help themselves. Sure. Maybe they're trying to pull the strings and manipulate the situation yeah. to their best advantage. Yeah, and totally they are, but they're also trying to impart some kind of for future, right? They're hoping that, you know, by having these discussions that mm-hmm. Junior's not going to fuck everybody all the time. Right. Because um, then we see it later in the, in the Bing? I forget. No, not in the, in no, episode. we don't go to the Bing. Yeah. Well, which back room was that? That was Satrials. That was the back room of Satrials? Okay. So then he's in the back room of Satrials and he's with Ray Curto and Jimmy and the other guy. The so he's probably with Barisi, Lawrence. Oh yeah, Barisi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Larry. Barisi, Jimmy. Cuz um, yeah, the capos at this point you have Ray Curto, Tony, Lawrence Barisi, Jimmy Larry. Altieri, and then Corrado has just moved up to be boss. Right. Right, right, right. So yeah, so he's sitting with those other capos then, like the other three capos, which is interesting to think mm-hmm. about. But Right. Um and then they're having this discussion about Junior and his power also, but they're not kind of accessing Junior in that same way that Tony right. and uh, Johnny Sachs and Hesh were able to do. Um, yeah, so I just, li- I liked those two scenes that were kind of like dealing with like the under, the people who are serving underneath the boss mm-hmm. and how they kind of maintain their own interests and how they um, outwardly want to seem supportive of decisions that are going on, but then, you know, on the inside are making these minor level or lower level decisions that impact the bigger picture too. And yet it's interesting, right? If you think about the reference to Pax Romana, you have this kind of, this infighting and this kind of espionage, backstabbing, backstabbing, scheming that I guess kind of led to this period of instability. So really what is this, you know, what is this a harbinger of 
yeah. of what's to come. Totally. No, I think that's a good a good read on it. Yeah. Um I don't know what you how we want to do this episode. Like there's a couple things I want to talk about. I want to talk about I want to talk a little bit more about Junior, maybe. Okay. Um, I want to talk about Melfi, and yeah. I want to talk about Tony's sex life. Okay. Those are my topics. Those are great topics. Do you have anything else that we want to structure it around? I have some. Let's start there and, and see what we get okay. into. That sounds great. Okay. Um, and then I have a few little, like, aside, smaller okay. things. But um, I want to talk about Melfi, actually, because I, I, I said that kind of at the beginning of the episode, that in not our last episode, but in Meadowlands, I was questioning the realism of Melfi like not ending therapy with Tony mm -hmm. right and this kind this really comes up again in this episode um like is this realistic that a therapist would not immediately end relationship of uh, therapeutic relationship with this client and I, I think I always used to kind of see it this way as this kind of like unrealistic character but now I'm really seeing it as part of Melfi's character. Absolutely. What we've learned about Melfi, right, through Vin McKazian, again, one of my mm -hmm. favorite characters, is that she leads this very boring and mundane mm -hmm. life, like mm -hmm. a very boring life. Yeah. And so these moments that she has with Tony are actually, I think, very exciting for mm -hmm. her. I think they're... Um, I don't know how to say it, like titillating for her or something like that. She's like, she's obviously acting in an extremely inappropriate way for a therapist. Yeah. Like when he tried to kiss her, her reactions were so weak. Mm -hmm. She had these very like weak protests against a lot of these elements and yeah. still was like, I'll see you next week or come by again this afternoon. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's not that, and I still think Melfi's a great character, obviously, but I'm viewing her as a little more morally questionable than mm -hmm. I have in, like past, in past viewings. And yeah, think, everyone's morally questionable. And when I was talking about, just earlier, about the ambition of having these completely real three-dimensional characters mm. for everybody, I think Melfi is definitely totally. no exception. In fact, she might be part of the main ensemble in terms of... In, in terms of attention received. And she's she's not different than everybody else. She's a complete character, mm -hmm. and she has her own baggage. I love that question at the beginning of the episode, you know, where Tony asks her, let me ask you a question. Why did you take me as a patient? Yeah. And he says, you know, you didn't flinch. And so we've been asking the same question yeah, why leading up to this she... point. Well, we've been asking the question, who is Tony Soprano? Yeah. But I think we have to start asking, who is Melfi? And yeah. I think this show doesn't shy away from having central questions to ask for every character. Yeah, totally. totally. And I think that's a big question. Who is she? Why would she engage mm -hmm. with Tony mm -hmm. in the same way? I guess I never really connected it in past viewings to really that that mundane life that she lives, yeah. right? That we hear about through McKaysey. And we heard about it last, well, in Meadowlands, yeah. and we hear about it again this week. So this introduced something really interesting that I was picking up on mm. a lot in this episode. And that was a color scheme that was going mm. on, or maybe in terms of color, maybe that's not the right word, because it was use of whites, blacks, and then some grays. Mm. And it was very repetitive. They mm -hmm. used it a lot, and it always had to do, I think, typically with Tony and, and Melfi, uh, often. Tony and maybe his his sexual partners. Mm. But we see it in, in quite, quite a few places. We saw it in the dream sequence where Tony's in his room in PJs, 
and then he goes to a dream sequence and all of a sudden the sheets are black, are black. satin. Yeah. And with Carmela we had these white sheets and then we go to this sex scene with Melfi and then it cuts back and then we go back to his room with the white sheets and it's actually I feel like when he gets out with his pajamas we really reinforce this white environment with this kind of domestic home life mm. and well I want to talk about that when we talk about yeah. Tony's sex life so, later too yeah well we see it in other scenes too we see Tony wearing a white uh, tank top and then when he's with Irina she's wearing this black lingerie um we start to see it a lot. The biggest one for me was we see Tony wearing this weird sweater. Uh, such a weird sweater. I know. <laughs> when he goes for an appointment, which also makes me think again and again when I start to see these things, I'm like, these people are so deliberate, so conscious. Yeah, they're of like, we need a black and white sweater. Here's a weird one. <laughs> these things are definitely intentional. But when I see Tony wearing a sweater like that, you're like, okay, they're definitely trying to to do something here. They're trying to call but your attention. What's to interesting how weird is, it is in that scene, Melfi changes to wearing a black blouse. And Tony is wearing this weird black and white sweater with white on top of black. <laughs> and then we just see the tops of them at first. So yeah. Melfi's in black, Tony's in white on black. And we have, I think, black with Irina, with these sex scenes, these forbidden mm. kind of like lust mm -hmm. um, sequences. We have black as kind of this like forbidden mm. kind of not domestic mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of what he's been seeking out, the kind of like thrill, the off the beaten track, outside of his home life. Um, and we see now Melfi is in black in this scene and he's wearing this white on black. They have some shots where he's talking. I wrote down a couple things, I should try and find it. Um, but we have some shots where they're showing just his face um, where Melfi asks him, what have you done? And now we see mostly the white and he's kind of acting sheepish, looking innocent. Yeah. But we still see a bit of this black underneath. Yeah. And what I found really interesting is that as the camera goes out and establishes the shot, Tony's actually wearing all black. Mm. So we actually, he's kind of, his the composition of what he's wearing is very so intriguing, actually. Yeah. It's basically a tiny strip of white on top of just an ocean of black. Yeah. Melfi is wearing black on kind of beige, which yeah. is like an unintroduced color. Yeah. We don't really know what it represents. Carmelo was wearing beige in yeah. this episode too. So, yeah. Yeah. It, you could we could definitely get into it, but for now I just want to kind of focus on those ones. In that weird suit she wears when the furniture is arriving. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a vest suit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> weird vest suit. But I think you know, the white of Tony that he's kind of trying to put out there when he's looking innocent, it's kind of just the tip of the iceberg of his character. Yeah. It's really like an ocean of blackness. Yeah. And I think he's, like we've had, we've talked about him being comfortable in this world of casual violence. I think he's also comfortable in this world of the forbidden. And I think maybe that is appealing to Melfi. What we start to see later is Melfi starts to embody a different color. She starts wearing grays. And actually mm. Tony starts to match that by wearing mm. grays, kind of the combination of mm. the two. Yeah. Which is something we've seen in this show before too, like what kind of exists between the black and white. Yeah. Well, arguably it's maybe what the show's all about. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a deliberate use of those colors. And I was thinking about when we were talking about colors earlier, I think especially in the first season, this show is coming up with a language that they're gonna use. And I think they're they're searching for their themes, their their motives, their color schemes, and I think they're finding what works and what doesn't. Yeah. But they're they're throwing things out there 
and they're starting to relate different objects or places or environments with these bigger ideas they yeah. have. And I think this was for me like a very kind of psychological episode. Mm-hmm. It's really getting into the psyche of the main characters. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a smaller scale mm-hmm. episode. The the drama and the developments are happening not on a large scale in terms of necessarily moving the plot forward, mm-hmm. but in terms of moving revelations about the psyche of mm-hmm. characters. And I think well, they're using colors to represent that. Yeah, but I think like there are some things that came up in this episode that I in in the sessions with Melfi that are really key to the whole show as well. Like mm-hmm. when Melfi points out the com- commonalities between herself Carmela, Livia, and Meadow, right? Mm, and mm. calls Tony's attention to that. And, you know, she says, like, that she's, oh, how does she say it? Something like, she is what's lacking in his wife and his, like, she is, has taken the place of what, or he sees her as what is lacking in his wife and mother. She also refers to herself as like kind of a generic woman who listens, mm-hmm. which is maybe what he doesn't get yeah. from other people. But then I love when they're talking about um, in the in the last the later therapy scene, and she's talking about again that connection between her and and Tony's wife and or Carmela and Livia, and he said he said that thing about Freud about um all little boys wanting to fuck their mothers Mm -hmm. and she's like i didn't say that right so again (laughs) like that came out of tony's like that came out of tony he made those connections right which in in therapy and in psychology is really important right like she didn't say that Mm -hmm. he interpreted that and then said that so I i thought that part was really interesting yeah and then we also in those sessions with and there's a bunch of times where, again, you just like love Tony so much and it's so, it really messes with you. Yeah. There's a couple times where he's actually like very sweet to Melfi. Yeah. And even when he's talking about like stealing her car and fixing her starter, mm-hmm. he has this smile on his face. Like he actually did, like it actually did come from a good place in Tony. Like, mm-hmm. And so I think like her reaction in some ways is very shocking. Yeah, I didn't want to see you get robbed. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and his, and this smile on his face, it, I think is very genuine mm-hmm. in those moments. Um, even when he's saying, like he says in the earlier session, like you have a nice laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then late- and yet all these things, if you think about them, are so wrong, especially in terms yeah. of him stealing her car, in terms of, of the power dynamic that's already been discussed on a smaller scale with the coffee. He's now deliberately subverting that. Yep. Um, complimenting her laugh, I mean, getting to this kind of sexual, personal yeah. relationship with his therapist is clearly not appropriate. Well, and then he goes, like, really out there. Like, he's talking about his desires, and we'll talk more about that too, but he's talking about his desires, and he's talking about... He tells that kind of fake story. It's kind of like a merge of Irina and Carmela. And it's this kind of, it's a lie. Like we've seen these mm-hmm. scenes, but he says, you know, oh, Carmela burnt me with the candle where mm-hmm. it was really Irina who threw it, blah, blah, blah. But then he's talking about, he asked Carmela apparently like to wear sexy quote unquote clothes. Yeah. And Melfi tries to kind of fill in the blanks for him. And then he's like, no, I mean like you. Yeah. And then he goes really he says that she's sweet sounding like a mandolin. Yeah. Um, he goes into, I love you. I'm in love with you. Yeah. Right. 
it's cr- it's crazy and her reaction is so subdued like yeah. she's like all right i'll see you next week um well th- yeah i think yeah. she has a complicated relationship yeah. Something that's f- fun, I guess, to, to look out mm. for in this show is what Melfi's wearing in these different scenes. Yeah. So whether she's wearing a short skirt or pants, I think it Her actually skirts can, are never short. Well, they can be shorter than other yes. times. And I think often it reflects the relationship between her and Tony yeah. in that moment. Um, another example of uh, that I was thinking of, of the kind of white and black scheme, is where Tony uh, has another dream, and he's kind of in this very white room and you have the white sheets again then he goes into where he sees her showering and it's a very like dark room mm. basically and then she comes out and then when it cuts back to him waking up and it's all white he's in his pajamas again which for me is like an over the top symbol of domesticity mm. and kind of like boring home life these white pajamas it's almost comical to see this like murderer who last episode we saw strangle a guy wearing PJs they're not really PJs it's they're like PJs. a white tank top and boxers no, he has PJ pants. PJ pants. PJ pants. Anyway, he wakes up in his PJ pants and the yeah. white sheets. <laughs> okay. Now very white color scheme. Yeah. Rolls over onto Carmilla and she just kind of mumbles like, do you want sex? Do you sex? want sex? Okay. Which well, let's talk about ton- is... Tony's cannoli then. Tony's cannoli. All right, let's talk about it. Okay. Let's move into that. I definitely, I the color thing is totally important. But I think the insight that we get into... Tony's sexuality in mm-hmm. this episode is really I mean it's it's really fascinating and into his like into his different sexual experiences if you want to call it that with these different characters and yeah. what that's like for him. So, I think we commented on it in a past episode like we really don't see he and Carmela being intimate intimate or at all really like sexualized in a lot of ways like the, mo- the moments that it happens stand out mm-hmm. right but then in this episode it it brings up it brings up kind of that um what's the word i'm looking for virgin mary kind of complex right where he's out with carmela for their anniversary which again is a very domestic mm-hmm. thing to do he's having meetings during it she's upset she says, I thought it might be like last year when we got a room at the plaza, right? Yeah. So like you get this intonation that maybe that, that they, you know, who were intimate when mm-hmm. they went to the plaza hotel. But her, this lack of like, but we also perceive that they must have sex sometimes mm-hmm. because she's clearly upset about the lack of sex, right? right? So he blames it on the Prozac or whatever, but there's clearly some kind of void there for her and her self-esteem is very linked into it. Um, you know, the fact that he, you know, refers to her as, oh, the mother of my children, right? That's that kind of virgin whore Mm -hmm. thing, right? Right. Which is, which we see kind of in, at least in Tony's expression of his sexuality, we see that in Carmela and Melf, sorry, Carmela and Irina and Melfi's kind of somewhere in the middle of that um, as well. But... I, I yeah. agree. Yeah, I think she is in the middle, and I think that's kind of the where the gray thing yeah, kind of comes from. Yeah, I think also, so, too. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's really interesting to see that dynamic, how it plays out between Tony and the different woman in his life. Yeah. I thought fire was something that kind of drew them together sometimes. Mm. You had Irina throwing fire. You had in his dreams being All surrounded candles. by candles. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's kind of like going into the fire, like this kind of like forbidden area outside of... Yeah. You know, what he's supposed to be doing in his domestic life. Yeah. 
it was it's pretty heartbreaking though. I mean, especially like the scene like when Carmela's so upset about, you know, like she says, you know, he's like, Do you want me to call the plaza? And she's mm-hmm. like, No, I just wanna go home. Um Yeah. I and also and she, yeah. like, her self-esteem has suffered because of that lack of intimacy. And then, of course, we have that scene where he does, like, wake up and wants to check if it's Carmela or, like, mm-hmm. a dream, right? Mm-hmm. So he, like, leans over her and she's like, do you want sex? And he's like, no, go back to bed. But then we hear her talking to not Dr. Phil, but Father Phil. <laughs> um, she goes on Dr. Phil. That was she, a great she scene. She goes on Dr. Phil. That was, was a great, great scene, yeah. And <laughs> she talks about how she kind of blames she blames herself right she like she says she wasn't threatened by these gumars and she says you know for i couldn't keep up with his needs i was busy with the kids and and the house and so she saw it kind of as masturbation is what she says right that but but for some reason melfi is different right melfi can't just be classified as this whore right Madonna whore. That's the word I was looking for. Madonna whore complex, right? Funny how Carmela's in a church when she's having this conversation mm-hmm. also. It just emphasizes that yeah. Madonna whore complex thing. I thought it was also fascinating that scene where she says she thought of them as a form of masturbation and then Phil with his eyes yeah. glances down, looks at her breasts, which very, very quick. But yeah. again, for me, it's like Phil to me is just this toxic character. I know. Well, she says it to him too. She's like, you know, father, like all men are all men have their desires or right. whatever. Yeah. I, I just feel, yeah, I think it was a short scene, but it just further solidified what was happening in the last episode is that Phil is just kind of incapable of moral guidance. Um, when he, he, bl- his, he blames Carmela for... Yeah, yeah, and he actually says to her that divorce is for the weak. Yeah. And I think, which I understand from the religious background, you know, where that line is coming from and that reasoning... But when we look at the show on the whole, that probably is bad advice for Carmela. Yeah. And for us who have had the benefit of watching the whole thing in completion, especially many times, <laughs> um, the best thing that Carmela maybe could do right now is just get out of this toxic environment. Yeah. And for me, Phil is just, he's another toxic character for very different reasons. Yeah. He has um, different principles. He has different kind of moral and values that guide him but at the end of the day I don't think he's helping anybody I think he's making things worse but at the same time like and this is I think one of the main ideas in the show as well can anyone ever get out of anything right we have have so many characters in this show who are sucked in again and again and like even if they make some attempts to escape like we see Meadow in later seasons of the show for example right Mm -hmm. but it's this black hole it's this and that's but that's kind of what i mean like maybe divorce is a route to escape I, if people there's these you, factors yeah. that push people sure. away from those things yeah but at the end of the day could carmela leave yes hmm. she could would she no yeah. probably not but especially not if those decisions are being reinforced by other characters right. for no, their own reasons of course of course it's possible she she could But, you know, the sad, you know, kind of central idea of the show is that people don't do those right things. Yeah. But, yeah. But back to Tony's cannoli, um, we do see him kind of struggling with this erectile dysfunction that he has going on. So whether that is, you know, and Melfi brings this up, right? Like, it could be a side effect of the Prozac, but it's also a side effect of depression, right? So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, how do you win? There's nothing physically wrong with him because he gets these nighttime erections right and i love that dream 
sequence, our the first dream sequence of the episode when he does wake up in those black sheets and mm-hmm. he's singing along with the words of the song. Right. It's such a funny scene. It is. Yeah. It's so funny that he's singing. <laughs> and he looks so happy. Yeah. And he's like wriggling around in the bed. Yeah. It's really something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, so we we see how he interacts with women and it is in for a, like what other women do we see him interact with? Okay, there's Meadow, who's his yeah. daughter, so we don't see it there. But yeah. all the women he encounters, I mean, even at some points, including Adriana later on in yeah. the season, right? That's his mode of interacting with yeah. people, right? It is like, what can he give people and mm-hmm. what does he get from people in return? And we see that in all of those relationships as well. Yeah. 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 Um, Feel like i had more i wanted to say but oh and then so the scene then we have this one the last the last scene before the party for junior mm-hmm. we have tony sitting outside by the pool which is reminiscent of when he was like looking at the ducks which i just wanted definitely to. um and he's sitting out there by his pool and we come up behind him and then carmela comes and sits down and there, there's no ducks in the pool which i think is good <laughs> i think it's, it's noticeable i don't know what makes us like think that but it's definitely noticeable. Mm, and I have she, some thoughts on that. Okay, yeah. cool. We'll talk about that in a sec. Anyways, but she says that, you know, she was jealous of Melfi, right? And that mm-hmm. and that she wants to be able to fix Tony. And we and we have that in um in the last episode. We have that in college in her time with, with Phil. Yeah. Father Phil. Um, where she's saying, like, he's saying, Well, I think like you can you can help fix him or something. There is some reference to like her being able to change Tony. Mm-hmm. You can change him. And so that clearly is a desire for her as well. And then we have this moment there, which again, is it genuine or what was Tony's, you know, reasoning behind saying this? But we have we have her saying, I want to be that person in your life. And he says, you're not just in my life. You are my life. life, Right. And she doesn't really like it's quite a it's a good line. I mean, good on Tony. That's a nice. It's (laughs) It's bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, it's bullshit. Right. But it, it's a good line, but she knows it's bullshit. She knows she, it's bullshit, you know, too. And so her face kind of winces she looks almost. Down. Yeah. yeah. And so we see that. So, again, we, we, you know, we investigate more about Tony's sexuality as the show goes on as well. Yeah. But I thought this episode really captured that Madonna horror yeah. kind of complex. Totally. Too. So what were you going to say about but, the ducks, though? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because right before that point, we have Tony going to Hesh's horse farm. Right. And all the And sounds. he's in nature. Mm-hmm. There's all the sounds. And he actually even says, I like it here. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's kind of like contemplating his place in nature, which mm-hmm. happens throughout the all show. All the time. Yeah. You know, it's who are these people? How do they fit into nature? Yeah. These people who act like this. And I think these characters are also considering these philosophical questions, these kind of like eternal questions and how they fit into everything. So he makes the payment to Hesh, which is this kind of like, you know, moral call of his. Yeah. Comes back. Now we're like focusing on him. Actually, the shot where they introduce the pool is amazing. Because right after he pays back Hesh, which is him kind of like pulling the strings of the business. The horses are like galloping around. Yeah. And then when we go back, it's a, shot from above it focuses on tony's head from above Mm -hmm. and it actually focuses on the crown of his head which i thought was fascinating 
And he has this kind of like, he's balding. So it's like covered in a thin layer of hair. Mm. But it kind of spins around and we end up seeing the pool. But mm. focusing on the crown right after he makes the payment, mm. I think it's kind of like a subtle statement on him actually holding, wearing the mm. crown of the family. That's what I thought. Interesting. <laughs> I think that I think he is, I think he is running the family and he's making calls. He was manipulating things when right. he, he pretended that he hadn't met with Hesh. Right. You know, when he calls in Johnny Sack, he's kind of maneuvering to actually run the show. Yeah. And then when he makes this payment, that's actually him managing the relationships. Yeah. Right? He managed everything. He managed getting the payment reduced from yeah. 500000 to two fifty. Yeah. Then, you know, as a result of that, the capos are getting a distribution. Then he pays Hesh. That's him managing all the relationships. Totally. Yeah. And then what's interesting to me is then also comparing the scene we were just in of true nature to looking at Carmela and Tony working out that scene from the perspective of, of the pool. Mm. And you said you feel the absence of the ducks. Mm -hmm. There is an absence of real nature. It's all synthetic. Mm -hmm. It's their house. It's this pool. It's this kind of man-made representation. With all this new furniture and all this. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Well, yeah. Carmela's trying to deal with the eternal in her own way. She's trying to fix her home and yeah. be a consumer and buy, buy, buy. But yeah. clearly that's not going to solve anything. And there is an artificiality to that scene. You are my life is bullshit. And they both know it. Yeah. And we're looking at it <laughs> over this water that's not real. Yeah. They're not going to get any, like... True closure, they're not going to really interact as real people. It's pretty much the best we've seen. Yeah. But a pool of water is pretty much the best we've had as yeah. a representation of nature because that's all that they're really capable of right now. I think that Carmela in that scene, though, is very honest. She is. And actually, that's something that's really interesting about her character. I think she's actually starting to emerge as the most morally guided and centered character in the whole show. There's something interesting, too. While they're having this conversation... I couldn't help but notice this cross that she's wearing mm -hmm. that's full of diamonds. And she's so, wearing a diamond. So many diamonds. Yeah. So many diamonds. This kind of like diamond necklace, diamond cross. And I think she's looking for spirituality. She's looking for a moral center. She's looking to be principled. And she is asking a lot of the right questions in this show. I think so. I think she's the only one who's asking the right questions of how people are behaving yeah. and what that means and what the repercussions of acting that way yeah. are. But there's something about that kind of like gaudy representation of faith that we see on her that's mm -hmm. like she's sucked into this consumer trap and it's actually very shallow. Yeah. Like a representation of faith through these kind of yeah. diamond crosses is kind of representation for me that... She is asking these questions, but at the end of the day, she isn't following through with them. Yeah, and well, we know, like we know they give lots of money to the church, for example, yeah. right? So it is. It's like buying your buying yourself um, into heaven or whatever you want to say, yeah. right? Like, do you are you absolved of your sins by donating enough or yeah. wearing this cross? Well, that's my plan as a jazz musician because I make a lot of money, as you know. Yeah. As we all know, jazz musicians make a lot of money, yeah. so I just give it all to the church and it should be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah, that'll <laughs> absolve you. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit just about Hesh, just because I had a few things about mm -hmm. Hesh. I wonder, I want, I don't know if we ever find out kind of like more about his relationship with Johnny Soprano, with Tony's father. Because he was Johnny Boy's friend, yeah. right? 
And we hear a little bit about that story from Livia, right? When Livia is talking to Junior about Hesh and how he should tax Hesh. Mm -hmm. But I don't know where that comes from. Like, what happened with Hesh and Johnny, mm. right? And I don't know if we ever find that out. So I'm going to be paying attention to that. Yeah. But then we also get the sense of that. I, I just think, I think Hesh is such a great character. Yes. But we we get this kind of like old timey sense when he does come. He he tells Tony he needs Tony to come outside to talk to him. He does, yeah. he's not going to go inside. Yeah. So we see Tony get out of his car, and they he's like we have to walk. Yeah. And Tony says it's that bad. Yeah. And it's just it looks like these old timey streets. I can't even really describe it. Mm -hmm. There's like interesting a little girl wearing baseball shorts or ba wearing jean shorts and holding a baseball bat. The color is a little mm. bit like old timey fifties kind of looking color. Mm -hmm. And then we see we see this different kind of color too when he goes out to Hesh's farm and with the horses mm -hmm. and there's something I can't quite put my like what Hesh represents and who Hesh is in this. But yeah, so I have like questions about Hesh. I want to yeah. know more about him. And I I've paid attention to him before. He's an but interesting I, character. Yeah. I feel like those kind of peripheral characters in that in the show the are the most rewarding on these repeat viewings. Yeah. Because you start to realize how complicated they are and how links they are to all the events of the show, all the events of the show's mm -hmm. history and all the characters. And there's a lot. Yeah, there's definitely a lot. I wanted to talk about the kind of power dynamic aspect. So we talked about it a little bit, but, you know, being addressed in the very early part of this, of the um, session with Dr. Melfi with the coffee. And, you know, and she says... I need to address this. I cannot accept gifts. Right. And then Tony kind of later on deciding to just actively go against that. So he's like, okay, you know, and it's very light, you know. But I think that represents Melfi making an attempt to establish boundaries and establish herself as somebody who cannot accept the, these kind of gifts from Tony. And then... Tony's kind of okay with it for a while, but he's unable to live within those confines. She's also not that strong about it, though. Well, she gets her point across. Yeah. I mean, what could she have done? She states it. Yeah. <laughs> she, she should have knocked it off the table. No, but she just, like, that's something that needs to be, like, set up in advance. I don't know. There's, like, there's you ha there's codes of conduct. Yeah. I totally yeah. and and she establishes that what I find is interesting is I think what happens in the show a lot is you have the show examines the kind of fine line between people kind of living somewhere as kind of a bystander and then crossing the line into being responsible for something mm. so we have Tony kind of you know subtly testing the waters of that power dynamic and then actively goes against it yeah. by stealing her car yep, yep, and installing yep. a new starter. Yeah, he like another... takes it to the next level. Yeah. yeah, and I think this, yeah, and there's another great example at Patterson Falls when they throw the drug dealer off the bridge and you have those three people waiting yeah. at the end of the bridge and they're just kind of waiting there. They see it. What are they going to do? Mikey goes over, offers them some money and they say, oh, it's tragic. He, you know, yeah. decided to kill himself. But I think the show does that a lot. It's like, People not doing the right thing when they're confronted with something that's clearly wrong. But then it's easy to not do anything. But it's it's interesting to examine the fine line of crossing the line to being you've now made a decision and you are responsible for crossing the line. To go against, line. yeah. And yeah. 
clearly Tony and the main characters of the mob in this show are constantly responsible for going over the line. Yeah. They are making decisions that clearly implicate them as pretty bad people. It's not as black and white with everybody. For instance, with Carmela, she very rarely, if ever, makes a conscious decision to cross that line. Right, but she does it. But she's still implicated. She's yeah. still with sin, as Phil says. Right. Yeah. There's a great scene. Well, there's two great scenes with Livia. One with her and Junior and one with her and Tony. And mm -hmm. in the one with her and Tony, they're sitting across from each other just like Carme just like at Melfi's office. Mm -hmm. They have these two chairs that are sitting facing each other. Yeah. And Tony actually is trying to, in some ways, I think, like, access Livia hmm. in the same, like, trying to have a relationship with her. Like, it's actually... It, that's a fascinating scene. It is fascinating. And he's trying to, like, he knows that she's an underhanded, crazy yeah. person. And so he's trying to use her for his, like, to talk to Junior and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But she's not buying it. She shuts it down. Yeah. And it's interesting because it replicates the scene she had with Corrado earlier. Yeah. The way they film it, too, the chair she's in in yeah. Green Grove Retirement Community, it looks like a throne. Yeah. And I think... The dynamic between Livia and Tony and Livia and Junior in this episode are very much related to the power structure yeah. theme. So when she's talking to Corrado, she's discussing things. She brings up Hesh. Junior's like, are you saying I should tax Hesh? And she's like, she I don't know him. what you're talking know, about. But she knows exactly what yeah. she's doing. And, and I love Junior's face. filmed in a way. It's composed in a way. Yeah. It's kind of blocked in a way. Where they go so close on their faces. It she's almost the queen. Is, it's almost sensual though like mm. there is almost this like flirtation and this mm -hmm. like they're both getting pleasure out of these interactions well the like machiavellian aspect of the mob is part of the show yeah. and tony is probably one of the best at navigating it but he can't navigate it with his mother she's the one in the throne she holds yeah. power over him and when he goes to you know play this underhanded hand or whatever yeah against her to kind of subtly insinuate things that she'll then pass on to Junior and will set things in motion. She says, you have to talk to him. Yeah. No. She eats her almond cookies. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, and she introduces Tony to her friend. Her friend, yeah, who comes back <laughs> later. Yeah. Um, those are great. Actually, I love, too, in that scene with Junior and Livia, it's such like a classic mob scene, It's but it's hilarious because you have the two of them having almost like a sit down. Yeah. But they're in the middle of the living room of the seniors Yeah, with community. that guy with the walker going guy by. Guy with the walker going by. I love the composition too. The yeah. two of them sitting, he gets in the middle, kind of breaks it up. Also the the sound effects, like what we're hearing. Yeah. They're having this like- Sing along or something. Very, yeah, there's like a very deep mob conversation that results in like taxation and often murders. Yeah. And we have, yeah, sing-along in the background that they're discussing under. Yeah. So they're kind of secretly in the background, but it's in this context. So it's it's kind of surreal. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. Um, I wanted to point out that this harkens back to one of our other episodes, but I love the line where Tony says, I didn't tell, he's talking about Melfi and Carmela. He says, I didn't tell her you were a um, a girl a mm, woman right uh, a i mean a doctor a woman doctor yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then and kind of like how you were talking that's kind about of like me saying woman characters woman characters <laughs> and then melfi turns around and says a female doctor so i just wanted female to reinforce doctor. that to you or just a doctor or just a doctor preferably 
Um, that was just. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm just. <laughs> I'm help, trying. Helping you. <laughs> there was a few. There was a few interesting little scenes that I thought just okay. in in terms of the way they, just filming wise that yeah. I loved. Um, Junior actually, there was a scene in the beginning I loved where you see him in the scene where he finds out about the son of the tailor. Yeah. And he's wearing this suit, pinstriped, classic On mobster. Top. Yeah. And we see him and he's like, oh, Junior's the boss. And then they zoom out and he's wearing boxers. Yeah. It's kind I of love like that. Emperor has no clothes kind of thing. Yeah. Make him feel good, make him feel like this old time, yeah. big figure mob boss. But the reality is he's not even wearing pants. Yeah. He's kind of been. <laughs> He's kind of just been like castrated by yeah. by Tony and the capos. It's just this like illusion of power. I love his line there where he says, "All these other guys want to die in their jogging suits." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was a scene I loved. Actually, maybe the only scene with Christopher. Yeah, it's such a kind of weird scene. Yeah, just well, one thing I love comes loved, out of nowhere. It does kind of come out of nowhere, but it's great just in terms of the the decisions of filmmaking. As soon as it gets becomes Christopher's scene. The music picks up. It's this super fast pace. The filming is frantic. It's yeah, moving it's like so fast, yeah. following him through Satrials. And I feel like, you know, we have Junior talking about, you know, being in a suit. People want to die in their jogging suits. Like, a certain value that's important to a generation dies when the next generation comes. Yeah. Gets bastardized and turns into something new. So when we're tracking the generations from Junior to Tony to Christopher, we're just in this like new fast-paced world mm-hmm. that doesn't really Christopher doesn't really fit in with the rest of the characters because he's from this new generation. Yeah. Because I don't know he's Gen Y or something yeah. to mm-hmm. be you know in 1999 you know at the age he is or something. Yeah. But it's different and it's interesting because as soon as he goes into the back room of Satrials, the, the film speed slows down. It's this kind of patient, yeah. calm, spiraling shot. To the yeah. to the next the generation. Cards, yeah. It's amazing what the show can do just to make you feel a certain way and to kind of imply values just through the way they oh, shoot yeah. things or they compose things. What do other you... scenes? Uh, we have the beginning with Vin McKazian. Yeah. There's in the lumber yard. He's always in these kind of like broken down places. Oh, I love I love the scene. The scenes that they film with him, and he's just such a like tragic looking character. Anyways, yeah. he's like so rumpled and I know. And, it's actually a, and they yeah. show him against these like yeah, so many bridges. Yeah. And so much like industry and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that shot's amazing where he's sitting on this like pile of lumber kind of or something. Yeah. And Tony, you see Tony's car pulling in, mm-hmm. and then we the camera slowly like sinks, like it's this like downwards, yeah, like ju- like that guy's doomed. We know he's doomed <laughs> from the very beginning. Like the, the composition of that first shot too is blowing yeah. away. We paused it, yeah. and <laughs> I mean the director of photography just really impressed me on that. Like just to look at that shot, you have these kind of like two beat down lumber buildings, and then in the distance you kind of had this like building this kind of like classic I don't know if it's like a state building or something you had the lumber pieces kind of right next to Vin McKazian and like a gap where you could kind of see greenery yeah and then later you know we see him with bridges which they've kind of like strongly associated with his character and I think there is these like classic industries of America that we're invested in and now in 2018 we're seeing you know the the issue of some of those industries kind of being thrown under the bus um and I think that The Sopranos kind of examines the time where perhaps the Pax Romana 
of mm. the United States, this time of kind of uninterrupted mm. peace, yeah. maybe since World War II, is kind of coming to an end. Yeah. And we're seeing now the kind of, you know, the tumultuousness of the time where things are not in that uninterrupted peaceful period mm. and there's a lot of questions. Well, and we and, see what happens to the show after 9-11 too. Yeah, and that's definitely another major, major event. Um, but I love, yeah, I love seeing Vin McKazian and Tony in those in those settings. I think it's really interesting. And the bridges for me are just such a perfect encapsulation of crumbling infrastructure. Yeah, well, especially as we were just in New Jersey Yesterday, the other day. Going to Holston's, no, no big deal. We did go to Holston's. We'll post a picture of us at Holston's, and but we we you, that's what just like what New Jersey looks like again. Mm -hmm. Not to always be bashing on New Jersey, but that like it's there's this area. I mean, there's beautiful areas of New Jersey, but there's these areas where it is. It's all like rusty bridges and like mm -hmm. Newark. Remember we saw that mm -hmm. bridge. I was like, is that a functioning bridge? It was right. like all rusted and falling yeah. over. And McKay, I mean, we see a lot of like broken people mm -hmm. in this show, right? Like if you want to call them that, people who are just, yeah, broken. Mm -hmm. And he's a broken person. Yeah. He's a rusty old person. Well, I think they person. all are. They're, They're all, all broken Everyone's people. broken, but yeah. yeah. Fun thing about the show is we get to figure out why, why they're broken. Yeah, but do we, do we ever get any of McKayzian's backstory? <sighs> Not not as much as you know that's the main okay, character. Though, He's I a peripheral mind. character. That's yeah. okay. That's the great thing about repeat viewings of the show is yeah. you can get you can delve deeper into the smaller characters, and it's still so rewarding yeah. because the writing is so incredible. You know, in terms of creating every character that's ever on the show. Totally, it's amazing. Yeah. So that's, that's what I have for this episode. Okay. Do you have anything else? Not, not really. No. Yeah. Great episode. Really good episode. Again, I think we, if my memory serves me correctly, I think next episode two, we get more of this kind of story building. Oh, we didn't talk about the last scene too much at the dinner, mm. the dinner for, jun for Junior. That's true. I love the camera sounds, right? Mm -hmm. We hear the camera sounds before we know, well, we see like a hint of where the camera yeah. might be, but we hear these camera sounds. We have this piece of music yeah. over going over the you know we're looking at everybody we're looking at these main players right yeah. or at least the who the fbi sees as main players mm -hmm. but they are i mean we don't you know they're not wrong in a lot of ways they focus in on the capos they focus in on johnny Sachs and junior obviously yeah. and they label him as the boss but yeah. it's a good intro into characters who i also very much enjoy the fbi characters right and so we don't see them in particular but we nope. know that we haven't, we haven't seen Will Arnett's wonderful <laughs> existence <laughs> in Sopranos I world. I can't wait. So yeah. Anyways, it was just like it was a great. I thought it was a great episode. Great episode. I mean, what isn't? I know. It's hard to find a bad one. I think AV Club gave it an A minus. I know how. <laughs> Come on, AV Club. <laughs> Sopranos is an A. I should base everything else off of. The Sopranos. You're gonna get a lot of Fs then. A lot of There's Fs. A lot of Fs. That's the sad thing about this show. Once you start watching this. There's a lot of Fs, a lot yeah. of F shows. How can you live up to it? Yeah, you can't talk about it for 50 whatever minutes. We have a friend who told us that we should do this, um, but with like really shitty shows, mm. like really overanalyze a really shitty show. So we'll see, maybe one day yeah. we can do in at the end. 
yeah. shit version. Well, eventually we'll we'll come back. We'll do The Wire maybe, and we, mm. we can talk about the scenes. That's that not they, a shitty show. That's, that's not a, a shitty show. show. That, but where they do their um, overview of the cork boards with hierarchies on them right. too. That was yeah. a very Wire, well, Wire slash Sopranos scene. Yeah, for sure. So yeah. Well, that was fun. We'll that be back soon. Fun. There's another in at the end, and we'll see you then.